Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. I'm going to pray. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your Word. Um, I want to thank you that in and of itself, uh, it has the power to align our minds. It has the power to change. It has the power to redeem. It has the power to heal. I pray that we would be attentive to what your Spirit is saying to us this morning. Last week, we ended um, our sermon with Hebrews 4, verse 11. And we talked about how Jesus is the better rest. And Hebrews 4, verse 11 says, Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And we mentioned again that disobedience is not the same as ignorance. Disobedience is when you know something, you've been told something, and yet you choose to ignore it or disobey it because you believe you have better facts or you don't trust the invitation that has been made um, or you don't trust the person that has made that invitation. And we saw the Israelites and the writer of Hebrews is reminding the, the, uh, the Hebrews that he's writing to now that this is what they experienced. And because of disobedience, they didn't enter the rest of God, not for lack of information, but because they chose to disobey it. Verse 2 in chapter 4 tells us that the reason that they disobeyed the good news of the gospel that was preached to them was because they did not mix it with faith. And so that's kind of a recap of how we covered last week. And this week, we're only going to cover two verses. And these two verses, when you read chapter 4, they seem to kind of come out of nowhere. And they seem to be disconnected because the writer of Hebrews is talking about how Jesus is the better Joshua. And then he continues in chapter 4, verse 14, to talk about how Jesus is the better high priest. And yet in the middle, there are these two verses that talk about the Word of God. It seems out of place, but it isn't, because what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that the Israelites disobeyed the literal voice of God. Uh, there was a sense in which God spoke through thunder and lightning, and they were so afraid that they said to Moses, no, you go up, and you talk to him, and you tell us what he said. And Moses comes down and says, this is what he said, and we're like, eh, I don't know about that, you know? And so he's saying the Israelites disobeyed the literal voice of God, but you are in danger of disobeying the word of God. And so what he's saying to them is, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so verse 11 says, therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. How many of you have been in a situation where someone says, can we have a word? Right? Yeah, there's a lot of murmuring. Anyone have a good experience after someone said, can we have a word? Usually, can we have a word does not mean a word. 
It means a series of words that is going to come from this person about what it is that you need to improve, what it is that you need to change, or how you have disappointed them. And, uh, and so there's, there's a sense in which often when we say, okay, can we have a word, that's our response. We have a complicated relationship with the Word of God, many of us. And some of us need, need to think, okay, well, what, what is the Word of God? Is the Word of God just the Bible? What is the Word of God? Well, it's, it's a collection of things. The Word of God is creation. And not only did God speak and creation was formed out of a word that God spoke, but creation itself speaks of God. Um, and so in Scripture, in Romans, it tells us that creation itself is proof of who God is, and creation itself is proof that there is order and there is a challenge to humanity to submit to that order. The Word of God, quite simply as well, is also the law. The law that was given to the Israelites in terms of what it means to follow God that is also considered the Word of God. Prophecy uh, in the Old Testament is the Word of God. Oftentimes you will hear uh, in the context of Scripture, and the Word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and the Word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Even in the New Testament, and the Word of the Lord came to John the Baptizer. And so as the Holy Spirit spoke through men and women in, in, the, uh, in, in the Bible, this was then repeated to us in written form to have the Word of God. So the Word of God is creation. The Word of God is the law and the prophets. The Word of God is also the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus tells us this in Luke 24, after he's been resurrected from the dead, and he's walking with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they are just wondering what is happening, and, and they're saying, yeah, these women told us that he's risen from the dead, and we don't know what's happening. And, and so Jesus says this to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the five first books of the Bible, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So the Word of God is creation, the Word of God is law, the Word of God is the prophets, it is the teaching and the message of Jesus, but more importantly, it is the embodied Christ. Jesus Himself is the Word of God. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being. The Word became flesh and made his home among us, we have seen his glory, glory like that of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Jesus himself is the embodied Word of God. The writer of Hebrews, right at the beginning as we started this, affirms this, that Jesus was there in creation. Jesus, as a member of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, were there in creation, didn't just make his appearance in the New Testament consistently throughout Scripture. Now, I know you'll say to me, but Nick, um, the writer of Hebrews cannot be talking about the whole Bible, uh, because literally as he was writing this, he was writing what is now the Bible. Yes, there is a difference between what the writer is talking about when he talks about the Word of God. And, uh, and it's clear that in those times, the writer of Hebrews may have had an early manuscript of the gospel, but he wouldn't have had much more than that other than the Old Testament. But what he's talking about here, when he's talking to the Hebrews, 
is he's talking about the fact that the Old Testament, the history of Israel, the law and the prophets, is what Jesus came to fulfill. And the New Testament that we have now is how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and how we as His church are to engage His world so that His glory is seen through our joy. Jesus is the completion, fulfillment, and reality of all that is spoken through the Word, and He embodies the Word. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain through one book, just one book in the New Testament. And we have the entire New Testament to fulfill and help Him kind of fill in the gaps of what He's trying to do. What He's trying to do is an amazing thing, and yet we have the full New Testament to be able to see that the entire Bible is about Jesus. You cannot know Jesus outside of His Word. You cannot fully know Jesus just by parts of His Word. Oh, I'm a gospel-only Christian. I don't even know what that means. Oh, I just read the Gospels and whatever Jesus said and whatever He did. Well, the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is a revelation of who Jesus is, what His purpose is, and therefore what our purpose and our joy is. And so the entire Bible needs to be read with an understanding that it is the story of Jesus. Now, many of you are probably going to ask about the reliability of Scripture, or you've had friends talk to you about the reliability of Scripture. Scott Duvall and J. Daniel say that divine inspiration, this is the process by which God directed individuals incorporating their abilities and styles to produce His message to humankind. When we say that we believe that Scripture is divinely inspired, what we mean is that the Spirit of God used the gifts and talents of men and included their personalities to be able to speak the words that He wanted to speak. That's why we have four different Gospels, the Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are very, very different. Um, and and what, what God did was He breathed on them. He inspired them to be able to do that. We have a, we have a picture of what the guy from the Bible Project says divine inspiration looks like. God didn't make robots of people, but what He did was He used them to be able to explain through their character and personality what He wanted to say to us. Now, there's too many facts about historicity and reliability to mention now. I'm happy to talk to you about that later. But what I do want to say is that your faith in the entire Bible and the New Testament is set in reality and information. We have a 2,000-year manuscript um, that is in the Morgan Library in New York City of the letter of Hebrews. Now, let me say this. We have more manuscripts of the eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus than we do have of the existence of Caesar. And most people believe that Caesar exists Fewer people believe that Jesus did. We have more information and manuscripts to show that He did. Now, that's not what I want to talk about, even though I did. I even wrote here, don't linger here, okay? (laughs) Too late, okay? (laughs) Then the other question is like, well, what is the Bible? Who decided what was in the Bible? And F.F. Bruce, who's written an amazing book called The Canon Inscription, if you want to dive deeper into this, then I, I suggest you get it. He says, by an act of faith, remember... We mix things with faith. We, it is the Christian faith. There is an extent in which we exercise faith as we step into this. By an act of faith, the Christian reader today may identify the New Testament as it has been received, 
with the entire tradition of Christ. But confidence in such an act of faith will be strengthened if the same faith proves to have been exercised by Christians in other places at other times. What he's saying is this, that for over 1,800 years, we have the same New Testament that Christians throughout the world and in different cultures have said that we believe that this is the full revelation of God to us. That the canon is as divine a product and a result of the Holy Spirit's work in guiding the church to recognize and receive the inspired writings of God. Just as much as the Spirit of God inspired the writing of Scripture, the Spirit of God inspired the collection and the preservation of Scripture. Under the direction of the Spirit of God, people have painstakingly received, copied, translated, and preserved the Word of God for us. People have been martyred, imprisoned, and persecuted so that we could have the written revelation of the magnificent, merciful, powerful Savior and His invitation to join Him in the renewal of all things through His church. And it sits on our shelf. The Bible is God's revelation and includes His character, His plan, His purpose, and we find our role and purpose in that. The Bible doesn't tell us what our story is. It tells us what His story is and how to find our story in the midst of that. And so the writer of Hebrews, in the midst of all of this, telling the Hebrews, guys, be careful, be careful. One of the ways that we can make sure that we are listening to His voice is through the Word of God. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about the fact that the Word of God is three things that the writer of Hebrews is telling us. It's living and active, it pierces, and it separates, and it exposes. It's living and active. This does not mean that somehow the pages and letters and words are kind of magical, and there's this mystical value to this. Where's Jess Coker? Is she here? Anyway, she's there. There we go. So when I do this, what happens to Jess, because she grew up in a church tradition where, see, even Grace can't handle it. Grace is like, yeah, you know what I mean? You can't do that. You know what I mean? You can't do that because you're not treating the Word of God with respect. Now, can I say something? There is nothing holy about this. This is just pages and faux leather and letters, what makes it holy is what is revealed in these pages through the Holy Spirit. And, and, we, and we, we freak out when we, when we treat the Bible like this, and yet in reality we have no problem not doing what it says. We have no problem actually not submitting to that. And that's one of the things that we need to understand. So it's not, it's not magical or holy or divine. It's not one of those uh, Harry Potter posters that you open it and all of a sudden this thing comes alive. It comes alive because you choose to submit your soul to the Spirit of God that opens your eyes, ears, and heart to see what the Word of God says. That's what makes it living, active, and divine. Reading the Bible is not an academic or intellectual exercise. The key to reading the Bible and allowing it to change your life is submission and faith. This does not mean that the Bible does not stand up to scrutiny. This does not mean that um, we need to just look at it as just some kind of spiritual collection of stories or phrases. 
The Bible has been used by, um, by people that study history and archaeology as, um, as a basis, as an anchor around which they can, they can understand what it is that they're excavating. But we need to understand that the Bible is not a scientific book. Genesis is not primarily a scientific book. Genesis is a revelation of God's purpose in the earth. And so there are rules about how we read the Bible. There are rules about how we read narratives. There are rules about how we read poetry. There are rules about how we read the gospel. And these are quite simple. And that's why it's important as a church that we, we are schooled in what that means. And so sometimes when you get a little bored with what I'm saying, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help you understand in your own lives how it is to appropriate the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 13 says this, These are the things that we are talking about. Now, Paul is talking to a church in Corinth. Not with words taught by human wisdom, but with words taught by the Spirit. We are interpreting spiritual things to spiritual people. But the natural man, or people who are unspiritual, don't accept the things from God's Spirit. They are foolishness to them. And they can't be understood because they can only be comprehended in the spiritual way. This is a revelation of spiritual things. And this can only be fully comprehended if your heart is made alive by the Holy Spirit. If you have been regenerated by faith in Jesus, then these things will make sense. I had a horrible, I didn't have a horrible meaning. I had a meaning with someone and they said a horrible thing. It was, it was true. And I sat there and I've been thinking about this for a long time. And she said to me that, that she, she had an encounter with a therapist, and the therapist said, pastors are some of the most unspiritual people I've ever met. Now, that's horrible in so many different ways. The therapist should never have said that in the first place, but I was like, oh, wow. What if that is even partly true? What if the reality of what people perceive of us and leaders of the church is that we aren't spiritual? And just, just remember, in, in her arc of spirituality, we're, we're, not, we're not talking Christianity in its fundamental sense. We're just talking a general sense of spirituality. The study of the Word of God is not about learning facts and information. The study of the Word of God is so that the person and work of Jesus comes into greater clarity. And once the person and work of Jesus comes into greater clarity, the, the deposit of the Spirit that He's placed within us comes alive. And then the things that we read are things that we want to participate in. The things that we are challenged by are things that we want to be challenged by because we want to grow. And the fact that we have all the help that we need. Because nowhere in this full revelation of God are we ever told to do things by ourselves. That was not in my notes. So. Mola says that we need to approach Scripture with a humble hermeneutic, which is a, an understanding of what the Scripture means, how, how to interpret it, of submission, not suspicion. When these words are mixed with faith, there is a divine and holy moment. The Holy Spirit is active and enlightening the Word, empowering us to understand it. Now, this doesn't mean that the Word of God is fluid. It doesn't mean that it changes. It doesn't mean that I assign meaning to the Word of God. It means that it produces change in us. One of our daughters, we went into her room. She was about six or seven. We said, well, you know, hey, baby, have you, have you read the Bible? 
today, and she's like, I read it. I'm like, that's not how this works. It's not a novel, right? The, the way that it works is that even if you've read it cover to cover, what the Spirit is wanting to do is bring fresh revelation to you every time you read it because it is alive. In different circumstances of your life, the same scripture, the same text produces different results. Ultimately, though, it is alive and active because Jesus himself is alive and active. When we encounter the Word of God, we encounter God. His Word, indeed, is His personal presence. Whenever God's Word is spoken, read, or heard, God Himself is there. I want you to think about that for a second. Do we believe what this man is saying about the Word of God? Whenever God's Word is spoken, read, or heard, God Himself is there. Why? Because it's about Him. Because he promised to embody it, and he did in Jesus. He promised to fill us with his spirit to be able to understand and fulfill these words. So that's why that is true. Now, you can read a biography about a famous person. I love reading biographies. Um, the Winston Churchill Last Line biography is one of my favorites. Um, but this is the thing about biography. You can learn a lot about a person by a biography. You can learn about their upbringing. You can learn about their humble beginnings. You can learn about their mistakes. You can learn about their strengths. Uh, you can actually adjust your life because of the things that you've learned in a biography about someone. But you will never meet them by reading their biography. Because he's dead... That's a good reason that I'm never going to meet Winston Churchill through the biography. But the reality is, is that I will never come to a relationship with someone by just reading their biography. That is the massive difference between the Word of God and any other biography. Are there aspects of biography in the Word of God? Yes, there are aspects of biography in the Word of God. But it is so different because the Bible is designed to initiate and intensify our relationship with our Savior. In Holy Week, I've, I've told my testimony before, one of, the, one of the ways that I came to God was on a Morty Thursday in a Greek Orthodox church. I said, we, we didn't have a Bible in our home. We had what was like the Holy Week um, order of service. Um, and my mom found this somewhere, and it was a, a time of searching, and I, I just wanted to go to church, a Greek Orthodox church, and we talk about bells and smells, lots of bells and smells, okay? And I remember walking through this, and it would say, you know, a priest comes to the front, and he waves the incense, and he does this because it represents this. And then, because it was Holy Week, it was the passages of the Passion of Jesus, what, what happened to Jesus in that week. And I remember reading those things um, as a person who had not yet come to faith, and I remember something just, just beginning to germinate in my soul. And I remember thinking, both, this is ridiculous, but this is something that is, for whatever reason right now, incredibly meaningful to me. It was maybe a year after that, that someone gave me an opportunity to place my faith in Jesus. But it was the Word of God that began to crack up to initiate the sense of Nick, this is what Jesus did for you. This is how much he loves you. And he is still present and alive and active in your life. 
if you choose to accept what he said about himself and about you. There are so many things that we can do to place ourselves in a position to allow the Word of God to speak to us. I mean, this is not for lack of information or opportunity anymore. I mean, look at the little app that Grace has. We can listen to the Word. Uh, we, can, we can actually watch it. There is the Gospel according to Matthew where we can literally watch it. We can actually sit with other people and do a community Bible reading. We can keep each other accountable in the context of life groups about reading together. There are so many things that we can do, so many things that were not available to people around us. Different translations, different situations, a different environment. I've been a, a Christian since a long time, 1989. 1989 is when I came to faith. I've read the Bible many times. Two weeks ago, I read Isaiah 6. I said, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Man, I've read that. I've preached that. I've, this is not the first time that that happened, but as I was sitting in my garden and I read that, just something fresh happened to me. And I didn't see the Lord but I felt his presence in that moment. And then scripture says that, that Isaiah responds, he says, woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And then the angel came and took hot coals from the altar and cleansed his lips. And for the first time ever, and you might say, duh, but for the first time ever, I was like, he never asked to be cleansed. All he did was he just said to God, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips, and God initiated his cleansing. And in that moment, I was just freshly overwhelmed by how God pursues me, and how even in his presence, where my focus is on him, God is cleansing me. Now, I've read that hundreds of times, and in this moment, in this time in my life, there's a fresh revelation of that, because God's word is living, and active, and it can be for you too. The challenge is also that God's word pierces, and God's word separates. I was in a conference one day, and someone was preaching, and I heard this person say, preach. I was like, what? What is that? And then the, the speaker would continue, and then I was looking for... Now, I don't want this to be culturally insensitive, but I was looking for a large African-American woman that had been going to AEM all her life, or AME all her life, to be sitting there, and it was a slight, blonde, little white woman who was going, preach. And then she said something very interesting, as the preacher would preach. She said, hurt us. And I was like, what? <laughs> hurt us. Every time the preacher would say something, she would say, hurt us. And I'd be like, yeah, the word of God pierces. That's what she means. And then the guy carried on, and then she started throwing money, which I can't find in the scripture anywhere. <laughs> but I remember that, and I remember going home thinking, I don't know that I enter an, a situation where the word of God is going to be preached where I'm ready to be hurt. 
Here I am. I'm ready for the word of God to pierce and separate. I love being encouraged. I love being told who I am. I love being told what my destiny is. I'm not sure that I want to have this sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning, exposing, judging the thoughts and intentions of my heart. This is not just in a, in a public setting. This is when we submit ourselves to the Word of God that we actually know that actually sometimes God wants to pierce and separate for our own good. It divides soul and spirit. These are two very different aspects of our humanity, and I've preached before, they are inseparable. Unfortunately, throughout church history, we've, we've wanted to separate body and soul and spirit, and we've spent a lot of time even preaching here of how we're saying, no, we are an embodied spirit. We are body, mind, and spirit together, inseparable. So what is he talking about? Why are we trying to separate them? We're not trying to separate them or untether them. We are wanting to define and thereby assign value and weight to what is soul and what is spirit. Well, why do we want to do that? Well, because Scripture tells us. Because the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrows is what discerns, exposes, and judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Now, some of us have been in places where a word preached, we feel like we've been exposed. Like I said, I've been preaching for many years. I have had opportunities where people come and accuse me of preaching at them. Now, because you know my situation, and you use this verse, and you use this example, and you're preaching at me, I'm like, I'm not. Maybe this is what is happening. Maybe the Word of God is piercing and separating. Maybe the Word of God is trying to get at the, not just your thoughts, the origin of your thoughts, the intention of your heart. I've always said that I ask God to put a gate on my mouth. I know, I know. That's why I'm asking, okay? And then as I read this, I said, actually, God, I don't just want a mouth gate, I want a heart gate. Because if I'm not thinking it, I'm probably not going to say it. And so I want you to work deeper in me. Yes, I want you to help me stop saying stupid things. But actually, I want you to close my heart to the things that would make me say those things. I want your word to penetrate, to pierce, and to expose those things so that I can come to you and say, yeah, that's pretty bad. I need your help. I need to know what to do here. The Word of God exposes bad motives. It exposes mixed motives. The Word of God helps us to see what my soulish wants or desires are and whether this thought or action or work or word is truly for God's glory. Now, our emotions and our intentions our intellect and our experience, they're all assigned value as we submit to the Word of God in the proper context through the division of soul or spirit. That does not mean that they are unimportant. 
Now, the purpose of this is not to obliterate what my feelings are, my emotions, my anxieties. The purpose of the, the piercing and the separating and the division is to reveal that to me. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. I remember someone saying to me, Nick, every time you talk about what's in your heart, you say the phrase, I think. I think this is what's going on. I think, I think. And this person said to me, try saying I feel this. I'm a thinker. This is where I live. And so I remember that, that great advice, saying, okay, God, I'm going to start a sentence with I feel. That's hard for me. Some of you need to start a sentence with I think. Because everything is about what you feel. You need to submit to the word of God and say, okay, God, here I am, submitting to your word. This is what I think about the situation. This is what I feel about the situation. I need your word to divide, divide soul and spirit. I need some accuracy about what is my feeling, my emotion, my anxiety, and what it is that you are saying about this situation. And then we allow the piercing and separating of God's word in its proper context. What about joints and marrow? And if you watch Forged in Fire, okay, one of you, right. Forged in Fire is where people make blades. Oh, thanks, Grace, okay. And they make blades, and there are two tests for a blade. The one is the sharpness test, and the other one is the strength test. And they take this, and what they do is they, they take this sword that is not made to be bashed against armor, for example, and they're bashed against armor, and they see if they can break it. And then, they, then what they do is see if it maintains its sharpness, and they test it on its sharpness. And the two-edged sword that um, the writer of Hebrews was talking about was probably the Roman gladius, which was one of the, the only two-edged swords they had at the time, which was incredibly strong and incredibly sharp. And it wasn't one of those things that you threw. It was one of those things where you had to be close to someone and people had armor, so it had to be strong enough to pierce through that. Now, there's a sharpness to it where the Word of God pierces and divides, but then there's also joint and marrow. Now, Cynthia and Charlene are here. They, their dad came and they cooked a meal for us, and uh, they were going to cook chicken curry, and his dad puts out this chicken, and I'm like, I'm thinking that he's going to just neatly kind of take the chicken off the bone, and he just hacks this thing to pieces. Like, literally breaking the bone. And I, I said to him, why, why do you do that? Because I don't like chicken shrapnel. You know what I mean? I'm not a fan of picking bone out of my curry. That's not my thing. And he says, unless I break the bone, the beautiful taste of the marrow stays in the bone. And I'm like, oh, okay. Still don't like chicken shrapnel, you know. But the separating of joints requires an attentiveness, a very sharp instrument, and a joint is what we call soft tissue. It's that, yes, I know. It's, it's that thing that, that actually joins muscle and bone. And sometimes the separating of joints is, is, is what requires a clean cut. Sometimes God is wanting to show you a connection that needs to be severed. Nick, you are too connected to what people think of you. I want to sever that. I want to cut that. I want to bring you freedom. Sometimes, 
Sometimes we need the strength of this cleaver that comes down. We need to expose something that is well protected because that's what marrow is. It's deep inside the bone, protected by this hard substance. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that God has the tenderness to use his word to separate joints and the strength and power to expose something that is well hidden. It hurts. It hurts. Sometimes you may feel hatcheted by the word of God. Or sometimes God does something that you barely notice because it's so sharp. You look back on your life or people recognize something in you and you're like, wow, God did that. God did that as I submitted to his word. God did that as I joined him in the work of the spirit. God did that as I joined in community. I'm, I'm different. That connection has been severed. Sometimes it still hurts. Because that bone had to go, that, that instrument had to go through bone and expose marrow. Lastly, obviously, God exposes. The word of God exposes. It says that we are all naked and exposed to him. Exposed is an interesting word because it has varied uses. It obviously means uncovered, to make visible. But it also means to unroll and to spatchcock to literally kind of expose. So the way in which you would spatchcock a chicken is you would cleaver the middle and then you would just open it. That's what exposed means. It means that everything that is hidden on the surface is shown to everybody. Nakedness is always a judgment because it says that the Word of God exposes us and helps us to see our nakedness. And yet the reality is, is that God is not interested in exposing our nakedness. His desire is to clothe us in his robe of righteousness. However, we need to understand that we are naked first. So like Adam and Eve, we sin and then we hide and cover. We have a fig leaf, fig tree in our garden that I've been tenderly caring for. And Corin walks out one day, she says, wow, those fig leaves could cover up quite a bit. And I'm like, right? I mean, those suckers are like this big, you know? Depending on your size, maybe you're a two fig leaf person or a three fig leaf person. No judgments. I'm just saying, whatever we have on that tree, we'll cover you. You know what I mean? The rising tide of undermining the Word of God, the rising tide of undermining the authority of Scripture is our badly camouflaged attempt to hide our sin with fig leaves. Does God really say that? Does God? And we have pretty big fig leaves these days. There's our own intellect, our own experience, and we try and, we try and cover. In Matthew 22, there's a story of a wedding feast. Banjo, you can come up. And in this wedding feast... Jesus says, I want you to go out and invite people to this amazing wedding feast. And the servants come back and say, you know what? Everyone says they're busy. They're, they're busy at this wedding feast. He says, well, then go into the byways and into the highways. And then I want you to invite everyone to come into the wedding feast. So the wedding feast is full. And the king is walking around. But he sees someone in the wedding feast without a garment. Now, it doesn't mean he's naked. It just means he's not wearing the wedding garment. And he says to him, 
why are you not wearing the wedding garment? And he throws him out. And you might look at that and you might say, uh, that's a little harsh. Now, a little study in history will tell you that when, when people in those days threw a wedding, they provided wedding garments. So he had a wedding garment provided that he chose not to use. But he wanted to enjoy the benefits of the wedding feast. Now, every single one of us have an opportunity to come into this wedding feast, to be clothed with the garment of righteousness, not to cover and hide with our own fig leaves. Every single one of us has that opportunity. So I want to do something a little different. I want to ask you to just close your eyes and allow the Word of God to do hopefully what I've been able to teach this morning. What gives me huge amounts of confidence is not in study and research, but because I genuinely believe that the Word of God itself is living and active. And Paul says to Timothy, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Now, for some of you, this is going to pierce. For some of you, this is going to expose. For some of you, this is going to give you great joy. But I just want you to stay there with that feeling. We didn't repeat crafty myths when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus. Quite on the contrary, we witnessed His majesty with our own eyes. He received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice came to Him from the magnificent glory saying, This is my dearly loved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with Him on that holy mountain. In addition, we have a most reliable prophetic word and you would do well to pay attention to it. This is Jesus speaking. After all, you say I'm rich, I've grown wealthy, I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you're miserable, pathetic, poor, blind, and naked. My advice is that you buy gold from me that has been purified by the fire so that you may be rich, and white clothing to wear so that your nakedness won't be shamefully exposed, and ointment to put on your eyes that you may see. I correct and discipline those whom I love so be earnest and change your hearts and lives. Look, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to be with them, and I will have dinner with them, and they will have dinner with me. Come, come all of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, come buy food with, 
out money at no cost. Come buy wine and milk. Why spend money for what isn't food and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Enjoy the richest of feasts. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink a spring of water that bubbles up to eternal life. This is what the Word of God says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with a heart that one believes and is justified, and it is with a mouth that one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, you have an opportunity to know him in a very, very simple way to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. For the rest of us, we get to rehearse the confession that we've made at the table of His grace. And so I wanna invite those of you who know Jesus to take communion with us. There's a table at the back, at the side in the front we have wine. Let's grab the elements, come back, we'll take it together. We know exactly what it is that we're to do because it's preserved in the Word of God. We know that this is what Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed because it's covered in the Gospels. We know that the church continued to do it because Paul told the Corinthians how to do it. And he reminded them that we do this because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, we have confidence that this is what Jesus would want us to do to remember him to rejoice in the fact that we will see him face to face one day and to join him as he renews the earth for his glory. Father, thank you for the embodied word that came and dwelt among us, whose body was broken for us. We eat and drink with joy and gladness. broken body, your shed blood, just like it's hard for us to understand that you embody your word, your word is active and alive and you are present in the reading and singing and preaching of it, that we know that you are active and present as we take this meal. And I want to pray for my friends, for the blessing this week being able to create a context of encounter with you as we submit ourselves to your word in fresh ways. Be with us, my God, I pray. Help us to be your church. In your name and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. We 
say we want to create a context for encounter, what that means is if you want someone to pray with you, if you have felt the sharpness and piercing or exposing of the Word of God this morning, or you just want someone to stand with you, if you've come to faith even for the first time this morning, we would love to stand with you in that. We're going to have some trusted leaders to my left, to your right, for the rest of us. Um, we're going to go outside, get to know each other a little bit better over coffee and donuts. Ultimately, though, this is what's important. If you need some space and time to sit and ponder on what God is doing, take your time. For the rest of us, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.